Welcome to Marsha's Plate. This is an interview episode where we talk to friends, family, other community members, and anybody else we want to talk to. <laughs> hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? Hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? How you been doing? Just checking in today. Hey, what's up, y'all? I am <laughs> so excited about this person coming to the show because I have not only loved them from afar for years, I recently this year got to meet them in person. And we just had a whole little fun, queer ass, black ass, wonderful trans ass time. And yes, I've I've been trying to get them on the show and we finally had some schedule open scheduling open up for us both. And yes, I'm so excited that they're here. So I want to welcome Travel Anderson to the show. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I am so excited to have you here because you are such a bright light in our community right now. And it just it just makes me when, any anytime I see you doing something, I think the first time we worked together was I think University of San San Diego or Berkeley. <gasps> oh Berkeley. That was a while ago. Oh my God! I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I think it was. Berkeley. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Oh wow! Oh, you got a good memory. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was the first time I saw you, and then I think I ran across your podcast because you know I feel like I'm the godmother of Black Trans mm-hmm. podcast, and you are, and you are, okay. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, let me see who is doing, who who else is doing the work. And so I I went and listened. Y'all were so dope. Such a, such a, you know, I love when I um, hear people and I can hear that they are proud of their blackness. Cause you know, a lot Mm. of times when we in these kind of audio only, people get to put on their NPR voices. Yes, 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 yes. Losing the the slang. And, you know, I was like, oh, this is, these are my people. I'm like, you know, you can hear it from the audio. These are my people. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited. Let me look you up. And then I started following you on Instagram. And it just, uh, I was like, oh, this is my type of person. So I want to tell the people a little bit about you. Mm -hmm. So that they can, um, you know, know your history. So we're going to start with that. Um, So Travel they them pronouns is mm-hmm. an award-winning journalist n- noted podcast host uh author mm-hmm. <laughs> doing world-changing <laughs> work across society and culture um this year they were named in out 100 magazines to 2023 um 100 most impactful lgbt people and in 2020, they were on the list with me uh, by The Root as mm-hmm. 100 most influential African-Americans. And so really out here doing culturally relevant um, um, work that is centering marginalized people, people that are in those kind of gray spaces mm-hmm. and, you know, w- where we like to focus at the intersections of life. And I'm just so proud of you. And that's who you are. So. Mm-hmm. You grew up in South Carolina, Charleston specifically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me who was loving up on you 
at when you were growing up? Who is your family unit? Tell me about your whole growing up situation. Absolutely. Love this question. So I am the child of a single parent. My mother, Melanie Carter, she was in the Army for 23 years of my life. Um, and so Charleston, South Carolina is home. That's where all the extended family is. That's where I spent all my summers. But, you know, as a military brat, we moved all over the place primarily um, the South. Um, in addition to my mother, I always shout out my grandmother who helped raise us as well. Apostle Dorothy Montgomery Holmes. Come on, um, grandmother. <laughs> and my grandmother was sort of kind of like a, a local church celebrity in Charleston. You know, like she was just very connected. Um, she was known for... Um, so in the church that she came into her calling and came to Christ in, they wouldn't let her minister. They wouldn't let her preach. Um, no, and so she left that church. Yes, it was one of those. So she left that church. She started her own church in her living room. Her first parishioners were her eight kids, including my mother, who's the youngest. Um, and so by the time I'm born, she has her own church. Because she helped raise us, I was just, I was attached to her hip. They used to call me her shadow. Um, you know, we used to think that I, we all used to think I would be a preacher um, and follow in her footsteps uh, because I was always around her that much. Well, um, I, I still can see it, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you know, we got a, a little something, something going on, you know, a little ministering every now and again, you know, speaking to the people. Um, but the pulpit looks very different uh, than God's tabernacle of prayer, uh, which was my grandmother's church name. So I always highlight my mom and my grandmother. Those were the two kind of more most central characters to and people to to my upbringing. Um, but then I also always say because I moved around a lot, I became very skilled at like just building relationships, talking to people. I think it's that type of background that like led me to being a journalist and being, you know, interested in, in talking to people. Um, but I love Charleston. You know, I'm a, I'm a descendant, at least I've been told that, you know, I'm a descendant of the Gullah Geechee folks in, in Charleston. Um, one of the, actually one of the personal projects I want to work on for next year is like diving more into that family history and that part of of the culture, um, especially because a lot of my favorite foods are, you know, connected to to that culture and community. Um, and so, yeah, that was my upbringing. Just a whole lot of a whole lot of church mm. um, and a whole lot of navigating my mother being in the military. I want to know, do you, I, I know when I was younger, nowhere near now, but when I was younger, there was a pressure because I was queer, uh, assigned male at birth, Mm-hmm. to not be proud of the women in my family being the center of mm. my core family unit, where almost because they were saying shit like, no father in the home, mm-hmm. no masculine representation, that's the reason why you're like this. And I grew up in a church too, and you need a man in the home. And there was always a pressure for me if if I was asked that question that I just asked you for mm-hmm. me to be for me to tell about my parents, but also include, oh, but wow. I had uncles I had um, that I always had to include some kind of type of male figure to validate something as a kid. I don't mm-hmm. know when I was validating something, but there was almost a shame in 
accepting that these was my core principal people in my loving family. Did you ever feel that pressure or because I see it sounds like you're proud that this is your core family. Did you ever feel the pressure not to be proud of that? Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember being younger. Right. And other folks in the family making a comment. Right. About my mom being single, about me only hanging out with my grandmother. Right. Like that was part in in I, we'll get to the book, one of the books later. But I mentioned in one of the books how, you know, I have an uncle who when I would be spending those summers in Charleston, um, for lack of a better word, they would force me to stay at my uh it's my mom's sister's house with her husband. Um, but, but part of the reason for that was so that I had this male figure, my uncle, being able to, you know, instill whatever manness stuff in me. Discipline. Um, all of, uh, all yeah, that shit. Just, a, just an, ex- an example of how to be a man, yeah. right? Um, because this idea that, you know, with women can't teach you how to be a man, blah, 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 right? Um, but that relationship in particular was was and is the site of so much of my childhood trauma um, and the gender policing that came with it. I mentioned in my book how this uncle in particular, you know, I was always a kid who, in a person who, like, I speak with my body. I use my body to speak, right? And so... Mm-hmm. My, I would always have a limp wrist when I'm talking, and my my uncle had always warned me that like you need to stop doing that. That's that faggot shit. Da, 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 da. And one summer, I guess he got tired of warning me, and he like punched me in my chest, stole the wind out of me, right? As a as a means of trying to you know toughen me up and and all of that. And so you know there were men and masculine present in my life, including my older brother. Um. But it really was the women who were running shit. You know what I mean? And so, like, I, I, my, and my dad, I should say, my dad is back in the picture now after 20 some odd years. Um, Him and my mom are back together. They got remarried. They live together. Yes, child. (laughs) Yes, child. After, you know, after the divorce, the 30 some odd years ago, 20 some odd year, years later, they're back together, doing living in, Come on, in bliss. Ultimate spin the block. L- literally. Okay. <laughs> literally. Um, but he wasn't, he wasn't present, right? He was in and out of jail. He was doing what he was doing with the street life and all of that other stuff. Um, and so I would love to be able to, you know, bring some of the, the masculine energy into the mix, but it, it just wasn't present um, in, in a in a generative way, um, you know, and in a positive way. But I definitely felt that pressure. And sometimes even still today, I think we can feel that pressure to you, with the ways that our identities, right, are being exploited, and, you know, politically. And everybody always wants to blame it on you didn't grow up with your daddy and all of that. I feel like many of us feel the need to 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 say oh my dad was in my life or i had this uncle who was super present so that you know that just because i was raised by women is not the reason why i am queer or trans or whatever um but in my case we didn't yeah there just weren't any any positive male role models around like even in the even in the i i have a family in which the men are these are these are old school black men, right? Grew up in the seventies, right? Like 
This and this is also the South, South Carolina. I always remind people that Charleston was the capital of the Confederacy at one particular point. So, like that racial history is baked in their understanding of what a man and a black man specifically is supposed to be. You know what I mean? Um, and so they dealing with a whole lot of other stuff. <laughs> Right. To, say, to say the least, um, but it, it did not manifest as a positive or useful or generative example for for me, um, nonetheless. Switching into the vein of um, the history of Charleston, not that mm-hmm. part, but queer history. How have you connected with the queer history of Charleston? Because I know some things about Charleston that, but um, you know, when we think about like Rainbow Row, when we think about mm-hmm. um, the battery and its history of cr- cruising the men, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I know a little Absolutely. bit of history in that part and some other things, some trans history too. What is your connection that I want to kiki about, but what is your queer connection um, with Charleston's history. And, you know, can you explain your connection with that? Yeah. So I didn't even discover Charleston had a queer history until I was in college, until I had completely dissociated for the most part from Charleston as a, as a home of sorts. Um, and, uh, So, yeah, I didn't discover uh, these bits and pieces of history of like how queer people were fighting back and claiming space, particularly in Charleston and black queer people more uh, especially so um, until I went to college and became interested in just a little bit more of my own personal history as I was discovering you know who i am and the language that like works best for me um and and that's why i mentioned earlier like one one of the like personal projects i want to do is go back to charleston go back to the Gullah Geechee community there and tease out a little bit more of of both kind of my own particular family's place and connection to the queerness and the queer history of Charleston, but also that broader story. Um, I remember I met when I was in college, I was an RA. I went to Morehouse for the record. Um, um, Not Morehouse, but I was an RA. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And one of my residents, my junior year was from Charleston. Um, And she now um was was the person who had told me you know i don't know if you experienced this when you were in school but like the young people the young queer people who came into morehouse in that year to three years after me were so radical they were already out the closet they bit they were out the closet since they were in middle school like they're they're their identities had just manifested a lot more quickly and so Mm -hmm this student was able to like introduce me to this history of our shared hometown that i just did not know about right Uh um and so that kind of jump-started my connection to it was it was um this uh this this student i'm trying to remember her name right now oh my god oh i hate this for me i'm gonna look it up and i'll say it later um but she's now doing really great work for trans community especially in the north carolina area um but she she was the person who really was like oh you don't you don't know that we've been turning it out here in charleston you know <laughs> the young people bringing you along literally and so much of my life now that i think about it has been like i am as unfolded in and secure in myself largely because of those younger folks at morehouse who you know 
just were secure in themselves. I'm thinking of, of, of Kenneth Pass or Marcus Lee, who are great academics right now at their respective institution. I'm thinking of Fatima Jamal, who's a fabulous, you know, artist, multidisciplinary, all of the things, um, model. Um, we all met at Morehouse back in the early, you know, 2010s. Um, and they were the ones who really showed me, right, in that historically Black all-male space that is Morehouse, right, mm -hmm. that, that there were other options and other possibilities of how we could exist and move through the world. I love that. That's so beautiful because I think young, I think that kind of um, generational disconnect, if we understand that we are learning from each other, we, we see the power in the generations, whether you're young, old, da, 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 da. We laid the pathway so people can be free. And yes, I can look back and see these young people enjoying that pathway yes. and, and it can free me even more from the shackles Absolutely. of conditioning or whatever. So I think that's beautiful. Let me tell you, do you know who Don Simmons is? No. Okay. Don Langsley Simmons. Does it sound familiar at all? No, but t tell me. <laughs> Let's kick it. <laughs> Let's kick it. <laughs> so in Charleston, this is this is this was some interesting trans history. Now it's not black trans, but it connects with black mm -hmm. people in a little bit. And so this is a white trans woman, and her name is Don Langsley Simmons, and she is an English trans woman that moved to um, Charleston. I mean, moved to um, um, Canada, and then as pre-transition and started this whole amazing career. Um, with um writing prolific mm. writing um biographies of like women powerful women like princess margaret and some of the first ladies oh, wow. of the united states mary lincoln todd um jacqueline kennedy ladybird uh, mm. just, mm -hmm. just a bunch of first ladies and so she created this life and then she met this girl this cisgender girl that this painter by the name of isabella whitney and so she befriended her they became cool you know they kiki buddies he at the time, it was a he, and they, they, uh -huh. they were, you know, this is her like her little butch queen friend, and so they are. Uh, she kind of got a coin. She got a coin. They kind of just live in this kind of social, like queer ass life, queer and cisgender woman friendship life, and so she was like, "Girl, why don't we move down to Charleston, South Carolina?" And she was like, "Girl." Honey, this is not, this is, I don't know that, you know, we white, <laughs> we white and we might succeed down there, but we also, you know, I'm a little queer. I might not fuck with them like that. They might not fuck with me like that. It might be a little shady. And Isabella was like, girl, I, let's go in on a house. I pay the most of it. Let's go in on a house down there. And they bought them a house in Charleston. Wow. So, two weeks after buying the house and then moving down there, Isabella, the sister of the woman passes away. And she leaves, uh, she leaves Don $2 million and the house. Oh, wow. At this time, Don is discovering her, you know, it's time for me to be the woman that I've been trying to be, but da 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 So she becomes one of the first, not the first, but one of the first or I think she, no, 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 she is the first. She's the first to get it here. The other women, you know, mm -hmm. we know um, Christine Jorgensen went mm -hmm. to Denmark and came mm -hmm. back with, with her with her coin, her, with her pocketbook. <laughs> mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and so here, 
So Don Langsley Simmons is the first one to get her pocketbook here. And if anybody is slow and not catching her sex change, her her mm-hmm. gender, her gender reassignment surgery. Um, if you so she got she's one of the first women to get a sex change here in the United wow. States, living in Charleston. So why this is a part of Black history? During that time, she met this amazing in in South in South Carolina in Charleston. She met this amazing Black piece of trade. Uh, mechanic. Yeah, I knew I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> and this it, it caused this big uproar in the news and you wow. know how it was going on. Because what this is not this is 1968. What what happened was right before that, Virginia versus Loving. Oh wow! Just got passed that that you know you can marry whoever the fuck you want to mm-hmm. marry. So her being one of the first white women to marry wow. a black man, and now they living in this amazing home. She's a millionaire. She's a socialite. Wow. She's doing all these amazing things after being an author. So. It was just kind of this groundbreaking thing that was pretty, pretty dope history. I love that. Of Charleston, South Carolina. I love Isn't that. that. Yeah, there is <laughs> so, there is so much that that I know I don't know. Um, uh, but just about the ways that queer people, trans people more, more specifically, have just been like paving ways in society, you know, prior to this moment. Um, but this is the history that, like, right, so many of us don't don't know. Um, it makes these people think that we just, you know, I always say it feels like people think we just dropped onto the face of the earth with Laverne Cox and Orange is the New Black. Um, <laughs> well, the, the, the times when the time, <laughs> time said that this was a typical... You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, <laughs> even this story is like, wow, this is in the 60s and the 70s. And there's, there's a trans woman that married to a black man, right? Because uh-huh. that's, that's special for the time. Right. Um, Who I love the fact that she just got this big old home uh, with her friend. Uh, That's that's wow. Yeah. Now now I'm like, I need to go visit, see if the house is still there. Yeah. And she just passed away in 2000. Like she, wow. re- this is a recent thing. So when we think, when we tell these stories, these are, you know, she was born in the, I think she was born in literally 1900 or, um, or 1902, somewhere early, early. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about these kind of stories and we talk and we try to reiterate in telling the story that this is not something new, we have been doing this kind of work. And Absolutely. I know that's, if you're on this show, that that's repetitious, but I'm just giving you another example of our queer history that, you know, people don't talk about and mm-hmm. it is our job as queer folks to kind of share it and, and be stewards of educating people in that history. Absolutely. We got to keep, we got to keep it alive. I mean, that's one of the reasons I ended up doing my book is I felt like, you know, I, the first like trans people that I remember just like existing in culture, right. In a meaningful way for me was like, the reality TV dolls, you know, like I'm thinking of Jayla Sims. I'm thinking of Isis King, Laomi Maldonado, you know, in the early aughts. Um, but like, who, who could we have all been if we knew, right, that, you know, all these other trans people existed before then. Right. And for me, when I was like, I was at Morehouse just doing research um, and I stumbled on Monica Roberts and Transgrio. And that is how I learned of a lot of the existence of trans people, you know, before, like I said, Laverne Cox, you know what I mean? 
um, Lucy Hicks Anderson and Jim McHarris and, you know, Ajita Wilson. And, you know, we can go down a long, a long list of, of people, but I do, I think so much about what we're going through right now as a community is because these people, because we don't know the history as a community and the people who are in power also don't know the history of how we have always been here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think us telling those stories, even the small stories like Dawn, right. Yeah. Um, it helps. It helps. I hope, right. Just change people's ideas and thoughts about how we exist. And the curators of that knowledge. So when we think about archives, when we think mm. about um, people who are the curators of uh, and decide what's important to go in mm-hmm. here to create the ca- capsule, they have to be looking from a broader lens that says this may be important later. They have yeah. to be fu- people who are doing this curation has to be future thinking so that because that stuff happening with Don, somebody could have been like, oh, that's just some subculture weird shit that's just happening and mm-hmm. wouldn't know that in 2023, 2000, mm-hmm. th- these teen, two, 2010s, this tipping point culturally yeah. would be happening. And so yeah. they wouldn't even know to archive it or look for that particular thing. When I go to archives, there's sometimes I will find things and I'm like, oh, nobody knows that this happening because at the time that it happened in 1870, that mm-hmm. this trans woman by the name of, at the, prior to transition, her name was Dick Montgomery. But in the paper, it said when when they when they learned about being free here in Texas when they mm-hmm. went during um, Juneteenth. Now that we talk mm-hmm. about Juneteenth, the trans history in Juneteenth is that Dick Montgomery transitioned and started to live their life as Lizzie Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm a trans woman, so I'm telling that story and I know that it's important, but somebody else would see that yep. newspaper clipping and not know that that's something we might need here in Texas with this climate of bullshit that we got going on in yeah. Texas. And so, Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. having that 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 insight of future thinking, if you are creating a capsule, if you are writing a book, if you are doing a podcast, if you are creating a film, whatever you're doing, understand you got to have that forward thinking mindset to be able to, um, you know, curate something that they can learn from. And it's context, right? Like it's it's all context. And I think, especially for for trans stories, so much. I I feel like when we go into the archives, a lot of us finding the existence of, of trans people in the archive is having to realize that like, obviously the language back then is not the language we had today. And so you, yes. you got to read a little differently to be able to sometimes say, Oh, that's actually a trans person, um, you know? Um, and so that, that's the importance of in particular having us as trans people, right? Queer trans people, Griot. non-binary people, trans big per. Trans uh-huh. Rios, right, going into the archives, fi- finding and discovering the ways that we have always been here, um, and perhaps the details that we can pick up on other archivists, right, weren't able to or didn't, right? And so the, the, the archive, I always say, ends up being incomplete because we don't have these more informed, well-rounded, nuanced, you know, um, information about these folks and, and at least with some of the work that I'm doing, I'm trying to, to build out that archive just a little bit better with more details, more context. Um, I remember writing my book and my editor would say, 
um, oh, I don't think this this bit of information is necessary here. It feels like a tangent to wh- whatever's there. And I would say, yeah, it is a tangent, but it's context, right? I want you to know that as Ajita Wilson was building her her um, her cult following, right, as an adult film star overseas, I want you to know what was happening in culture writ large. Right. Yeah. As, as, as she was building her empire, I want you to know that this was happening in politics or this this album was number one on the Billboard charts at that time. Or because I think for me, I think when when I look back at a lot of these stories, we just don't get to hear a little bit of the humanity of these people. Right. And I think when you can tell us about, you know, um, this person really liked painting their nails red or this person really like this color, you, you humanize them in a different way. Um, and I think at least a lot of the work that I'm trying to do is, is, is actually, let me change that. Uh, Cause we, we are already human, but yes. the ways that, that people regard us is as if we are not human. And so when we're talking about the ways that we document, you know, um, or, or, um, exhume the documents that are already there, of people who lived and loved and existed like us, it's important to make sure, right, that the audience is getting some of these tidbits that show that, like, we are real people. We aren't, you know, um, Norman Bates and Psycho, for Max. example. And 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 understand that we are um, every second of the day in the every second of the present, we are creating history. And so what we're not just talking about history long time ago. We're talking about history two seconds ago. So right now, mm-hmm. as me and Travel are having this conversation, two queer people, two mm-hmm. people who are who are trying to break down um binaries, who are trying to shed light on our particular lives. The, at the right now, there are there's a genocide happening in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. there is is mm-hmm. an attack in the legislation through legislation on the mm-hmm. agency over women's bodies, the agency over trans bodies, the agency uh, mm-hmm. over you know um, the lot li- the black lives. We are these things are happening as we are speaking right now and creating history. So. Yes. Yes, don't think of it just about think incidents that happened in the past. Think about think about it incidents that happened in right now because somebody, especially if we are recording and we are using mm-hmm. this archive, somebody 50, 60, 70 years from now might run across it and not understand the context or be just giving the context of the larger culture that the larger yeah. culture was giving. And so we're yeah. trying to give you a deeper um way, more intersectional and more broader way of thinking about um what we're saying oh my god i want to thank all of our new patrons this week thank you thank you thank you yay, 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 yay. so not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast you know I also donate to other podcasts I donate to other organizations I have my finger on the post of the community and I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because I put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch I am community is fuck <laughs> so thank you I really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron 
why have you not you can donate as low as a dollar a month it doesn't matter anything helps please do i have to play sarah mclaughlin and show you puppies like what do i have to do do i have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money <laughs> all righty anyway thank y'all and the patreon and paypal link is at the bottom back to the show so let's talk about your book Books. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ask. <laughs> so because that's it goes back to what I was saying about young people also can lay a path. I am I'm I'm a I'm an upcoming author. I got a book on the way. And I am yes. so, you know, I am so excited that there are people, young people, older people, but especially young people who have laid the path for me to come down this lane and do what I need to do. So you have two books. One of mm-hmm. them is called We See Each Other. A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film. And the other one is called Historical Black Phrases from Ain't One of I Ain't One of Your Little Friends to Who All Gonna Be There. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so tell me about your experience in becoming an author. Like wh- why did Ooh. you want to do that? And you know, what's yeah. that? Like? So I never being an author was never a dream that I knew I could dream. You know what I mean? Um, I, yeah, I, it just was not something that I had thought about. And when I was working, I started my career at the LA Times um, covering diversity in Hollywood with focus on Black and queer film. Um, and this was around the like Oscar so white time period. And I was uh-huh. writing, writing all of these stories. Um, and I had an agent um, who just liked my writing style. And she said, her name is Patrice Caldwell. She's my agent today. Uh, she reached out to me. She DM'd me on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken, and was like, hey, have you thought about writing a book? I like your writing style. I think it really translate. We had one phone conversation. I said, girl, I ain't got time to write no book. I don't know what that looks like. No, thank you. Uh, and she was like, well, if you ever change your mind, I'm here. Um, fast forward a few years, and I just was like, you know, I had gotten laid off from Out Magazine. I left the LA Times, went to Out Magazine. I was their director of culture and entertainment. Um, I worked under Raquel Willis when she was the executive editor there. Um, and we were all there for a year. Did some really great work that I'm super proud of. And then we really all got laid work. off. And then we all got laid off two days before Christmas 2019. Uh, and it was at that moment that I said, okay, well... Maybe I need to call her back and do do this book project, you know? (laughs) Um, And at that time, I was really interested specifically in, you know, what had happened since Time Magazine said that we were in a trans tipping point with Laverne Cox on Orange is the New Black. In fact, my last story as a staff member at Out Magazine was a, a cover story for January... Um, 2020 that featured um, it was a double cover with Laverne Cox and Chella Man, who is a uh, Asian Jewish deaf model and writer. Um, and the entire piece was about was like a 7,000 word piece, which they would never give anybody to write today. Um, but it was a 7,000 word piece charting that history of trans visibility, basically what the book became started with that article and after doing this 7,000 word piece, I was like, oh, that feels like a book. <laughs> you know, like it, it's not a book because the book is 30 some odd thousand. But I was like, wow, I, I did all of this research, captured it here. 
spoke to my agent and she was like, okay, let's put a proposal together. Now, the problem I had was there weren't many comps for the type of book that I wanted to write, which was this like part history of trans images, specifically with a focus on, on blackness and part like memoir. Because there were no comps, it became difficult in the selling process to say, hey, y'all, people will actually be interested in this book. You need to give me money to do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so the, uh, oh, and then also they said that um, because of a film like this Disclosure existed, which I, was, I had an opportunity to participate in, because Disclosure existed, they did not see kind of like IP potential for the idea because there was, there was already a documentary. So like, what could this book become beyond the book? Uh-huh. Those are the things that were brought up to us while we were trying to sell it and like navigate the publishing industry. Um, and so I say all that to say, you know, it was actually kind of difficult to, to just become an author. Um, I, w- I didn't want to go independent um, because I felt that there was something important about having these black trans narratives on a major publisher um, and what I at least thought would lead to like potential promotion things. It didn't necessarily net out that way, but we could talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- those were my motivations for trying to go through the like traditional publishing system. Um, we ended up getting uh, 12 no's on the book. Um, and the 13th response that we got was, was the only yes that I got. Um, and that was from my, my publisher uh, at Disney. Um, Anscape Books is the name of the the imprint, which is attached to the website Anscape, formerly known as The Undefeated. Um, and uh, it was it was a journey, though, just because behind the scenes, as you might imagine, with a behemoth like Disney, um, there are just all of these different players and parts, and and it was a new imprint. So they didn't have an editor. And so I didn't have an editor for the first bulk of the time of me writing and all of these other stuff. And in addition, in case y'all can't tell by my voice, I, uh, I just do a lot. I'm, I'm an extra. I have a big old personality. I like to have 12 things going in the air at the same time. So in addition to the book, the first book, um, I had the podcast Fanti with Jared. I started doing what a day, which is a daily news podcast as well. Um, around the time that the book was due, I was a consulting producer on the final season of Legendary on HBO Max. Like, I was all over the place, Diamond. I had no yeah. right doing all of this shit all at once. You did. Uh, well, <laughs> but, you know, it just made it a, it, it made it a very difficult process um, beyond the writing of the book. The actual writing was in the grand scheme of things, the easy part. It was navigating the relationships and the people and, you know, uh, going back and forth on what the cover would look like for the book with Disney um, because I had very specific ideas. (laughs) Um, That is where the greatest struggle was. Um, And after I sold my book, um, my podcast co-host Jared, um, he's had this idea for a book that he that he's been you know working on for seven years at the time that we're we're recording this, 
um, which was this coffee table dictionary of these Black phrases that we heard growing up that we put definitions to and examples. Um, we've interviewed about a dozen different Black people, and we have these essays throughout the book contextualizing, you know, AAVE, our language, how so much about what we talk, how we talk as Black people. It's like tonal. You can say the same thing uh-huh. five different ways, and it means five uh-huh. different things. Um, and so all of that is is in the book, Historically Black Phrases, from I Want Your Little Friends to Who All Gonna Be There. Um, and it just so happened, timing worked out to where both of the books came out in the same year. This year, my book came out in May, and Historically Black Phrases came out in September. Um, but the thing I'm great, I'm most proud about, specifically with We See Each Other, is I already know that other trans folks in culture, right, who are interested in writing books, have been able to use my book as a comp, right, as they're pitching, you know, their stories elsewhere. Um, Same thing with Raquel's book that just came out, right, The Risk It Takes to Bloom. Same thing with, um, oh, I forget his name, Skylar is his his last name, Um, but he's an influencer that just, a trans influencer that just came out with a book as well. Um, So many you know, books are coming out and, and hopefully, right, it leads to the place where we get more narratives from from everyone. The memoir, if that's your if that's your thing, but also other types, right, of works that are written by by trans people as well. So all of the say, becoming an author has been it's been a wild, wild just journey, I'd say over the last what? two-ish years, um, that all of this has been going on. But I'm super grateful because ultimately it has allowed me to like continue. Uh, I love when I'm able to like go do a speaking engagement or go do an interview and, you know, tell people about Lucy Hicks Anderson and how she was a bad bitch, um, you know, back in, back in the day, you know, to see people when you can, and then have, and we have photos, right? We have photos of Lucy Hicks Anderson. We have photos of Carlette and Jen Lee Brown. We have photos. And so to have those in my presentation or have those in the book so folks can be like, oh, there's proof. You know what I mean? Like that's the, that's the, the greatest joy despite all of the drama <laughs> I had to deal with. That, that makes it a little bit worth it. Let's talk about pressure and see if you have the same pressure that I'm feeling mm-hmm. as a, a coming author. So there, you know, I'm a black feminist. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm somebody who feels that that almost on a religious basis that black feminism, black feminist theory is a part of my life. It's how, it's how mm-hmm. is my compass. It's my North star. It is, it is something that I um, look forward to look, look, look forward to in my moral capacity. I want it. This, that's, that's the future. So anyway, there are mammoths of books in yeah. that canon, when we mm-hmm. think about The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, when we think about um, mm-hmm. Ain't I a Woman by Bell Hooks, when we think about innovative works, like more new age works, like um, um, and culturally relevant works, like um, When Chickens Come Home to Roost, mm-hmm. When Chicken Head Come Home to Roost by um, Joan Morgan, when we think about, you know, new age authors like Undrown, Alexis Pauline Gums, when we think about, you know, queer authors like Sister Outsider, Audre Lorde, yeah. you get what I'm saying? These mammoths of almost people, people quote these books yeah. like the Bible, like scriptures, like it's just something, um, how much pressure <laughs> do you feel 
adding something to the oh. cultural to the cultural canon of trans literature because I have so much angst about it. I have so yeah. much angst. So that's why your courage and bravery to even do it or attempt it is so inspiring. But I have debilitating angst about it because no, I, I want it you. to be great. So how do you feel I about feel the pressure? I feel you. I remember when I when I finally finished we see each other and i sent the, the final draft off i was just like oh my god did i get everything right did i say all the right names did i did i say it in the right way because you know when we're talking about our shit you got to say it the <laughs> right way or, or somebody gonna come drag you because you said it the wrong way even though that wasn't your intention i had all of these thoughts um and what i ultimately came to say for myself was that you know this is my offering to the world, hopefully to the canon that folks will regard it as like something that is important and foundational um, for the canon. Um, but it is just mine. It is just from my vantage point. I actually, uh, the, the final version of the book is not actually what I sold to my publisher. I sold to the publisher something that was a little bit more clinical, a little more clinical academic approach, if you will, to trans history. But the final and you can do that because you don't you are you're a Morehouse person, <laughs> you are a Stanford person. You can do that. I'm sure you yeah, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah. That's what I sold to them. That's what they were expecting. But in the course of writing, I was like, oh, this is boring. I was like, this doesn't this is not making this really interesting history about how we have existed, particularly as black trans people. It doesn't make it come alive to me as somebody, as the person who's writing it, then it definitely, you know, isn't going to come alive for the people who are reading it. And so that's when the memoir aspect of the book came in. And so I'm not just talking about Laverne Cox and Lawrence is a new black, though I talk about her a lot in the book. Um, I'm also talking about just gender transgression in culture more broadly so that gives me the opportunity as you know a black queer person from charleston south carolina to wax poetic about tyler perry as medea uh -huh. and connect that to what i believe to be our lived experiences as black trans femmes in our community because i noticed the ways in which the jokes that we all lodge at medea Right. And we talk about Medea, her hands, her, her, her facial hair, her Adam's apple, the size of her body, etc., are the exact same jeers that we as black trans women in films experience in our community. And considering that, I think we need to have a conversation about how people who perceive us as trans people, trans women in films in particular, to be men in wigs, they think we're Medea. And so they're treating us like Medea gets treated in culture. Um, and so I wanted to take some of these cultural productions that we all know and love, laugh at, et cetera, and show kind of the weight of them in culture mm -hmm. and the ways that they manifest in terms of like the, the horrible ultimately experiences that many of us are, are navigating on, on the daily. But I, I, I mentioned that to say that pressure that you talk about because I leaned as much as I could into the specificity of my perspective, my vantage point, my experience, to me, it alleviated that pressure because now 
I'm not trying to, you know, make something that, you know, Audre Lorde would love. I'm just trying to make something that from the uniqueness of my experience presents a different type of, you know, vantage point on these same issues. Hell, and I'm, and I'm referencing, I, I do my best in the book. Um, I often say that my favorite part about We See Each Other is the index because, you know, for me as somebody with that little bit of academic background, I want you to be able to go straight to the index and say, hmm, all I want to listen to, all I want to read about is uh, Sir Lady Java. And so I can find where Sir Lady Java is, go straight to that point, you know, and use it as a, as a reference text in that particular way. Um, but yeah, it really, it, I think that is what allowed me to alleviate myself of, of the pressure. Um, and then also just realizing, to be quite honest, that, you know, I'm a bad bitch. I done did some things. I, I, have, I, I have carved out a voice, a space, and an experience, right? that we know based on whether it's the podcast audience, whether it's the, the social media following or whatever, there are people who not only are interested in what I have to say, um, but they need what we have to say because we also have needed what we have to say. You know what I mean? And, and for me, that is, that is how I've been able to kind of navigate um, those pressures and the question also makes me think of really quickly, um, as we record this conversation, I'm not sure when it's coming out, but as we record this conversation, um, Jared and I, um, for Historically Black Phrases, we're sort of kind of getting, you know, lit up on social media or over on mm -hmm. Twitter right now because uh, some African-Americans have <laughs> uh, discovered the cover of the book and it has sent off internal signals for them that make them feel as if you know we are giving away the secrets for the culture or we are only doing this for white consumption or whatever the case may be and i bring that up because you know i've been seeing all of the commentary and the feedback um and this type of feedback is something that was similar to to what you brought you talked about the pressure of just kind of putting these like black feminist type works out there and, and wanting it to be good and, and, and stand alongside those texts with historically black phrases, we were like, okay, we want to do a book. This is a book for black people, right? This is a book for us to go down memory lane and have fun talking about, you know, the difference between a corner and a swallow, you uh -huh. know? Um, or talk about, you know, why everybody knows, you know, uh, 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 when, when somebody said God is good, you're supposed to, you're supposed to say all the time. And when they say all the time, you're supposed to say God is good, bad, you know, those things that connect us linguistically as black people, we wanted to do something that allowed us to, to uplift that. Um, and that was our focus, um, knowing that the community or some members in the community might feel how these people on Twitter feel. Um, but my response to that being in this moment right now is I'm totally down and open to have conversations about, you know, folks' thoughts about the book, um, either of these books and what's brought up in them. But first and foremost, you got to read it. First and foremost, you got you got to wrestle with what I've actually presented. Right. And then we can talk about whether or not you think it's good for the culture, bad for the culture, whether or not it does actually st stand up against, 
you know, uh, uh, All About Love by Bell Hooks or, you know, uh, uh, Sister Outsider, you know, then we can talk about those kind of comparisons. But I read what I what I want most is for folks to take my work, wrestle with my work, and then and then we can, you know, extrapolate it. Right. And you can tell me what I missed. You could tell me what, what you would have put in it. Right. Um, you could tell, and you can also critique. I want to be clear. You could also critique the fact that I did for both of these books go the traditional publishing route. Right. And because of the nature of publishing, that means, yes, my editor, well, at least the editor for historically black phrases is a white person. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but we can talk about how, you know, the design type, that we use in our book was created by a black designer. We can talk about, you know, other ways that we did our best to bring in a variety of, of, of black perspectives specifically for historically black phrases. And then for, we see each other trans perspectives, right? So like I had, I don't know if you know who Tuck Woodstock is, uh-huh. um, but they host the podcast. Gender, Gender reveal. reveal. Yeah. So uh, we, I made Disney hire Tuck to do the sensitivity read of my book, right. To bring in a community member from that vantage point, we reached out to, you know, um, trans artists and designers to, to try to do the cover. We didn't end up going with the, that, that person's design. Um, but like I was trying to be as intentional as possible to bring the community into both of these works as a means of also alleviating kind of that pressure that you mentioned of, of this needing to, to, to be right. Cause I do want it to be right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the way that we accomplish that considering all of the, you know, the white supremacy, the capitalism, the, the everything right is by bringing more people, as many people as we could into the fold. Sorry mm-hmm. for that long answer, but no, 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 I, t- I, I totally get you. I, I, and I think that that's where the angst coming at is like it's there's a part of me that is like fuck it there's a part of me that's like I'm doing yeah. this for me so fuck whatever any other motherfucker it's it's an archive it's not my my book is not just a memoir it's just it's 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 a memoir in um kind of just giving context of uh, I guess that's a memoir yeah I'm giving um context of my life but Prior to adulthood, there, that is a unique part of my life that I think yeah. it's for parents, actually. I want parents to read it so that they can create a safer place for their queer children if they I have love queer that. children. And so, um, and so for me, part of me is like, this is my truth. And so a fuck it part. But also I'm on my Erica Badu shit where I created this motherfucker and I'm sensitive about sensitive. this. Sensitive. I'm sensitive about my shit. Absolutely. And, and so, you know what? Yeah. We can be, and I think we can be sensitive. I am also very sensitive about both both of these texts, um, and I think we can be sensitive, right? But we can't allow our sensitivity to to block legitimate critique, critique. critique. legitimate critique. Because you know, some people out there they're just talking their mouth. They don't. They they don't care. They like, don't like you because you're trans, so it don't matter what you write. <laughs> you know what I mean? That part. That part. That part. Absolutely. Or they don't like you know like. <laughs> So, so many of the comments about, particularly about historical black phrases right now, you know, folks are like, who would write this book? And then they look us up and they would say for my co-host, who is a lighter skin, freckle faced, you know, individual, they'll be like, they, they have said, oh, 
this nigga is exactly who I think would write the book. And I'm like, oh, wow. So you, ch- you chose to show the picture of the lighter skinned person of the two of us, because for whatever reason, that confirms your what you uh-huh. believe are like these like anti-black intentions with this project. And then there are other people who are like, oh, Trey Vale, that name with that apostrophe. Oh, I know that's a nigga. And you're right. I am a nigga. Right. I'm a very particular type of nigga. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I'm a very particular type of nigga who can also, you know, write a book like this and it not be what folks think it is. And so I say all that to say, you know, I think we can remain sensitive about our stuff, especially because, right, some of this is our life story. You know what I mean? Like, that's our history, right? Mm -hmm. It's our archive. I think we can be very sensitive, and I sure as hell am, because of the much, uh, uh, how much work, you know, I put into both of these things. I'm very fucking sensitive, and that's why I say you need to read the book before you try to come with me with anything. You know what I mean? So some of the comments that we, luckily, I haven't heard or had, you know, any like negative responses from trans community about about we see each other and i'm so grateful for that because i thought the girls i thought the girls might drag me just a little bit because <laughs> i you know i say a couple things in that book honey um but with historically black phrases in 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 particular it's one of those things where like we really did this book out of the love for how we talk you mentioned earlier how you listened to our podcast and you were like mm-hmm. oh these are folks who are putting on their NPR voices and like they're just being authentic. That is why we did the book because I want, I want everyone to feel as comfortable, you know, going on NPR, talking like how we talk to your monsters plate, you know, and feeling mm-hmm. secure and, and comfortable. Why? Because let's, if we are going to bring white people into the conversation, let's talk about how they're able to move through the world using our language, acting as if they're us, get applauded for it, get money for it, et cetera, right? Whereas those of us who find ourselves in these same spaces, we feel like we got to sound like we on NPR to be able to navigate these corporate spaces. And so it's important for me anywhere I go, and you, you, you've seen me in a variety of different places, and this is a lot more so now at this point in my life, but like you going to get, this is the voice you going to get whether I'm on NPR doing, you know, pop culture happy hour or, you know, we're in, you know, the God Talk documentary at the Smithsonian or, you know, this is this is what it is. And that is why we did that book. So, yeah, we sensitive. But you got to you because I'm sensitive. That's why you got to read the book, because I don't want to engage with your bullshit when you're just going off of vibes. You're going off of your own perception of the material as opposed to the actual material. That's where my that's how my sensitivity shows up um, because I'm open to critique, especially if I got something wrong or you feel like something is missing or whatever. Absolutely. I think we have to be open to critique no matter where you are in this thing called life. Um, but you know, you need to make sure your critique is valid because you're going to piss me off if you say something that is contradictory to what's in the book that you would have discovered. For example, if you just read the introduction to historically black phrases, you would know all you needed to know about what this book is, why we did it, who our audience is, etc. You know what I mean? Mm. So basically, if you come for my shit, motherfucker, come correct. Come correct. <laughs> come correct. <laughs> la, 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 la,
you brought up God's Talk. So recently, mm. we were in a documentary together. We were the principals. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we were the principals of their very first, the Smithsonian, the African American Museum of History and Culture. History and Culture. Mm-hmm. Yes. We were, uh, we were principals of their document, the very first documentary that they ever did, which was super, super, super amazing. So back in October, Mm -hmm. they premiered it to everybody. And that's where um, we met in person. Let me tell you something about the situation. (laughs) So I've been a part of stuff, you know, not to be boastful, but I've been part of Mm -hmm. some stuff. You can say you do. Like we've been Uh a part of shit. So sometimes where we are as queer people, sometimes it's it could be super, super fancy and big and <laughs> and sometimes it could be honey down home where we coming in it, they got um red cups of juice. Yes. <laughs> it could be real uh grassroots. And so yes. you know it, it's a range of shit. So when I in this situation, I cannot tell you that I had grasped what this was about to be when I got into that space. So mm-hmm. I thought, this is what I thought I was coming. I thought I was going to come to this space and I was going to sit in the audience and we watch it and um, <laughs> the creators is on stage talking about their shit and da 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 So that's what I thought. But when I come into this space, <laughs> the theater is packed. <laughs> the kids are dressed to the nine like we going to church. <laughs> It is the bougie elite of DC. Yes. It is. We got a green room. We got coordinators putting <laughs> us in different rooms, steering us through the maze of the back ends of, of the theaters. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is for real. This is something else. That's why I dressed the way that I did. Because if I knew to dress up, motherfuckers was in gowns and shit. I'm mm-hmm. like, I, honey, I'm a fashion bitch. I like to come and put on. So. <laughs> So if I knew to come and put on, I would have put on. But I'm coming, mm-hmm. I got fucking chucks and a jumpsuit. And I, I did not come prepared. I felt cute. You know, I'm always look cute. But I, I I was not prepared for what this mm-hmm. was about to be. Were you prepared? Yes and no. Okay. So yes <laughs> and no. Like, I also, we we weren't given clear information. Okay. Period. About and it doesn't seem like anyone. Actually, I shouldn't say anyone. I think. Um, oh, I forget her name. Um, but she's the she's the agnostic one of the principals. Uh-huh. Um, but she, I think she might have had most information because it seems like she, you know, asked follow up questions and yes. like all those other stuff. Very agnostic. Um, but yeah, very agnostic. <laughs> very bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> Love to her. Uh, so I think she had a she seemed like she was the most prepared before for the majority of, of the rest of us. I think we all were like, oh, now I just assumed that we might, there might be pictures or something. So that's why I put on my little, you know, cocktail dress moment <laughs> um, because they were like, it's the premiere. It's going to be screened at the Oprah Winfrey Theater. It's the Black Sonian. Yes. Um, But I did not know we were doing a panel. I did not know that there was, oh, we discovered right at the event that the poster of, for the, which, for the which I'm call it, is this mm-hmm. like collage of, of our faces. Of our faces. <laughs> 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 so, and, and I also did not know when I first 
joined to to do things with them. What was that? That was pre-pandemic when I yeah. first connected with them. I I don't think I remember the that it, that a documentary was supposed to come out of it. I'm sure they might have said it or referenced it, but I just did not remember. And so when we got that email saying that, oh, we've got the documentary and we're going to do this premiere in October, and I was like, oh, okay. I didn't even remember half of what I said in that documentary. <laughs> but the documentary was a, was a... They interviewed like 167 people yeah. around the world and they were discussing... Spirit, black millennial black spirituality and yeah. you know because you know and it's from an american lens so you know the black church was core in in, in core principle in the conversation and how people either got away from the black church or are now enriching and doing mm-hmm. the black church in, in a different way so it's not just a denouncement of black church it is just all different kind of variety of perspectives around spirituality um rooted in you know some of us are rooted in African um, traditional mm-hmm. religions. Some of us are still rooted in the church. Some of us have gone and got into more, um, you know, Eastern ideas. Mm-hmm. Like, so, uh, it's so many variations. And so we were able to be a part of it. And so what are your takeaways from watching it and seeing the crowd? What are your takeaways? Yeah, you know, it's it's always interesting um, because you mentioned the bougie DC elite crowd oh. that, that was in the audience. Um, and I've been thinking about how, you know, there was a reception afterwards and, you know, you and I were in our corner doing our oh. thing. Um, and, I was like, you know, I was telling my friend we were being each other's blanket. <laughs> very bad. Very bad. Very bad. <laughs> but, you know, people would come up, people came up to us and was like, you know, cause I, I think, I think it's safe to say that your story and my story, even though there are what, seven principles. I feel like our stories, you know, got like a little bit of sort of special treatment. So we're a little bit more central, I think, in the 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 ways that we talk about in question and um, black millennial faith in particular. And so we had all these bougie people coming up to us, thanking us for 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 what we were saying um, and what we said in our example. And I kept thinking, hmm. Are y'all taking this information and the this, you know, realization that you now have after this documentary? And are you gonna take these reflections back to your church? Because I know all of them be in church on Sunday. I can tell because they had their Sunday's best on, you know, mm-hmm. for that event. Um, and so that's something that I, I've been thinking about, like what 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 they got legitimately from that documentary and how they hopefully are implementing some of the things that that we brought up. Um, And then for me personally, you know what? Because I did not remember um, much (laughs) of what I said in that documentary, I didn't remember when I did most of those interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, my main takeaway is just like, looking back at those other versions of myself, right? Um, that Ooh, in terms that, of like gender the animation, the animation, ah, uh, that was so good. Baby, they animated a part of my a part of my my black church journey that that I forgot I had told in, in the documentary, and it just it really, you know, when I talk about when I spoke about before 
feeling secure in the importance and utility of my story, my journey, and putting it out in the world, watching that documentary kind of even further affirmed that because it was like, like, wow, my story can be rendered on screen in this type of way, and it will hit people in a very different way than just the book or the podcast or the social media. And I just, I did not, I did not conceptualize that or think of that when we were doing those interviews all those years ago. Um, and so that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm really proud, right, to be able to mm-hmm. say that, you know, I am one of two trans people who are in the, the first documentary, right, that the Black Blacksonian has ever, like we, you said this after the event, we are in not just an archive, we are in the archive, <laughs> right? You know, and that, that will mean something. To somebody. Um, it means something to me right yes. now, but it will mean yes. something to somebody. Yes, it will mean something to somebody. And that makes whatever kind of, you know, uh, admittedly, I had a little bit of discomfort seeing some of them shots. You know, I was like, ooh, because, you know, there used to be a time in my journey where uh, I didn't mind, you know, showing my, my, uh, my beard. You know, my, my five o'clock shadow. I was. It was giving, giving very, very gender non-conforming, non-binary, like really, confusion. Very, you know, uh, a loke. <laughs> very a loke. Yeah, it was giving very a loke. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily the hairy girl anymore. Um, so that was like that created a, just a little bit of like, I don't want to call it dysphoria or, or or that type of comfort, but it was something that I saw on screen and I was like, Ooh, you know, just a little bit. Yeah, it was just like, uh oh, um, because I'm I'm not at that place with my gender presentation anymore. Um, but the thing that 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 eases everything and brings comfort about it all is exactly what you said. That will this will mean something to somebody later, mm-hmm. right? It can mean something to somebody now, tomorrow, whatever. But it will mean something that we are there as we are, right? And we are who we are now. And so, like that made that made it wonderful. For me, it was the power that our stories had, that we were sitting there watching them. Like, even when I was telling the story about the pastor and the whole, mm-hmm. and the whole mm-hmm. theater gagged, and mm-hmm. it made them, it moved them to say something or whisper, and the conversations was going, yes. da, 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 da. I was like, yeah, this is, this is why this story is important. It is moving yeah. y'all. It is, it is, it is, is making y'all think and letting y'all know that there is nuance to this, to this experience. And it can be a gag sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part definitely agree with that but also in the regards to what you said earlier about where they are taking this like where the yeah. folks taking this even if they're not bougie but in that reception <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that moment where we were together standing there and multiple people were coming up to us we were learning what the, what the, yes. what the answer to that because we the, people's response to us it, you can see that for some people, it was a deep and a shift and yes. like, oh, my God, this makes sense. But we also had the ladies, <laughs> the, the bougie, light-skinned ladies coming up to us talking about, oh, don't you think that um, it would be even better if we had some straight men? Uh-huh. And we had to 
remind her. I know I did. Had to remind yes. her it actually was straight men in there and yes. they were married. Did you not ignore that? Did you not see that? Did you not see blah, blah, blah? She was like, oh, was it? You were mm-hmm. too busy judging us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the trans it. woman and the non binary person. That's too busy it. Judging us and not wanting us to even be in the space. Mm-hmm. You were mm-hmm. so gagged that we were even on screen that you were ignoring the multitude multitude of straight black men that were in the documentary literally ignoring it and you had and you were ignoring it so much that you had to come tell us not the director not the producers come tell us that you wish it was black men aka you wish we were erased and Mm -hmm. not taking up space Mm -hmm. and that's the selling part and that's why I shaded that bitch while we were standing there It was so good, but she deserved it because you're absolutely right. Now, why are you bringing this to us? We didn't make the movie. <laughs> and then she's like, she, what she said, she said, oh, I didn't even know. And you was like, I said, yes. She don't mm-hmm. even know that. She don't even know that we're shading her. It's going yeah, over yeah. here. You remember <laughs> when I was sitting there talking to you in her face? I'm like, she doesn't even know the shade and it's going over her head. This is how dumb this bitch is. <laughs> and she's smiling. Oh, so wild. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes. So wild. So, it was so such a wild situation. And so mm-hmm. that it was it was a perfect example of how you know when we talk about sensitive about our shit, everybody is not going to be engaged with the material yeah. in an authentic way. They're coming to the material with biases yeah. and they're coming to the material not being open. And there's some people that are and they're going to yeah. learn from it and take from it. But what who I care about is the people that you are mentioning, the people who it is going to yes. be important for who is going to it's going to push them in a direction and crack some kind of yoke using the language of churchy language mm-hmm. crack, somebody's, crack somebody's joke to push them in a direction of pride push them in yeah. a direction of power push them in a direction of self-actualization even if it has to be through spirituality they see Absolutely. a pathway that we represent you may not want, you may not, somebody may not, may need a cishet man mm-hmm. journey, but somebody needs our journey too. And that's Absolutely. why it is powerful that we are part of it. Absolutely. Give me, give me, give me euphoria, more than peace of mind. It's the joy and space to change the tide. Give me, give me, give me euphoria, more than peace of mind. It's the joy and And the high you never come down from whoa, whoa. So to close out, what we always do on every show, we ask, um, you know, what is bringing us euphoria? Because, you know, trans, a lot of transness is focused on the dysphoria of it all, you know. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to create a segment on our show that talks about euphoria. And so something super, super simple or something super, super deep, whatever you want it to be, what has brought you euphoria this week? Oh, I love this question. Um, and I'm going to say... My creativity brings me the most euphoria. Um, you know, like so, so much about the things that I'm doing now in life are like 
coming out of the depths of my imagination. And if you had a similar upbringing like I had, you weren't encouraged to use your imagination. Mm. And so you may not know, I'm discovering in real time, right, over these last few years with the books, with some other things that I'm working on, the, the power of my imagination, both in terms of, you know, actualizing my gender and in terms of my career and in terms of my, my personal life. Um, and so the thing that is that has brought me most euphoria, especially this week, as I'm like, you know, working on some things for the new year uh-huh. um, has been, you know, just like, wow, I am brilliant. And, um, amen. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and not in a place of like cockiness, because I think or arrogance, I think oftentimes, you know, I, I'm a Leo as well. So I feel like also. People, people just always want to be like, oh, the arrogant, cocky Leo. Um, and you know, maybe there's a little bit of that there. I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that, like, you know, I don't wait on other people to talk me up and big me up. Um, because when I was waiting on other people to do that, and when I put that power in other people, um, it didn't allow me to, to, to actualize my greatest potential. And so when I put that power of like affirmation and confirmation within myself, and I said that, yeah, girl, your creativity, you're going to have an idea and you're going to make it come to life. Just like you did with both of these books, right? Praise the Lord in one year in the same way that I'm doing with these other things that gave me the most euphoria. And then the last thing I'll say, just in a very, um, you know, uh, perhaps materialistic way. Um, I just bought this new dress that, baby, listen, I put it on. Okay, got my Black, my Black Friday uh, deal shopping. I put it on. I said, now, who's that? Ha! <laughs> oh, girl. You know, so that, that, that made me go like, oh, okay, girl, I see you. You know? Uh, <laughs> I fucking live. I live, live for a fashion moment. Uh-huh. what is bringing me euphoria this week i want to kind of piggyback off of the humility humility thing Mm -hmm. Um, i'm just somebody who doesn't think that we should be humble period i'm just somebody who thinks that i and i shouldn't have to explain to you when i say i'm a bad bitch I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to come after mm-hmm. and say, "Well, I'm not trying to be arrogant." Uh-huh. No, I'm just saying I'm a bad uh-huh. bitch because I'm a bad bitch. These are the facts. Uh-huh. If I told you I was a black woman, I wouldn't have to come back Period. and explain shit. If I told Period. you that my hat is black and white stripe, I, I don't have to explain that. My hat is black and white stripe. My, these are my, facts. These are facts. These are just what it is. This is mm-hmm. what I feel about myself, and it's a fact in my reality. So this is what mm-hmm. the fuck I am, and mm-hmm. it doesn't make me better than you. I think the problem Absolutely. with arrogance is it's making it's putting other people down, or I'm better than you. No, I'm telling you, go. I'm a bad bitch to myself. I'm confident mm-hmm. in, in what I do. I'm confident in what I bring to the table. I'm confident in who I am, and so I'm a bad bitch. Mm-hmm. And you can be a bad bitch too. Your that, way. That's what I'm trying to say. Your way. You, exactly. you can be the baddest bitch on your block. Not on my block, but on your block. Big her. Big her. <laughs> big her. That part. Yes. You feel what I'm saying? I'm the Absolutely. baddest bitch on my block, but on your block, in your lane, you Absolutely. are the baddest bitch. And Absolutely. so, th- that brings me euphoria. But also, th- since you had a fashion moment, I have a fashion moment. I have... Uh, um, I have this is from a millinery 
Um, their name is Essential, Black Queer Man, Essential, out of New York. And I have so many of their hats, and they bring me so much joy. I'm about to go off camera real quick. Mm -hmm. I can put it on. It is a dope Russian cuff. Period. Hmm. Oh, this is and cute. You see what you see what they give? Yes. It gives a little something. So it has been bringing me joy. I've been tipping around here in Houston. Tons of fashionista girls in Houston. So and they have it. Just they have been living for it. And I got a couple of his pieces, but this is one of my favorite. It is a Russian cuff in tip. They have it in various. It's colors, so cute. It's so I, simple, but it like. You know, it's like it's like the type of accessory that you know like makes an outfit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, I love it. This love it. So it, so essential hats has been bringing me euphoria for the past, you know, especially since it's fall and I've been able to wear hats without being hot as hell, mm -hmm. you know, cuz I live in Houston. Um that has been bringing <laughs> me euphoria. And so and you being oh, on the show being on the show and me finally getting to interview you and share your brilliance because you are, in fact, brilliant to me, Thank to yourself. You. And, and that's all that matters in this moment. And so, and so <laughs> you are, in fact, brilliant. And I love what you bring to the table. I love how you shake it up. I love how you um, just bring so much brightness and 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 intellect and just 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 uh, amazingness to a space when you bring it. I love you. I love what you do. And I want to thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you so much. I just want to give you a little bit of your flowers. I know the guests say it to you every single week when they on the show. I know, I know, you know, you a bad bitch. You know, you a legend and icon and all that other stuff. But you are very much deserving of all of the, all of that attention and more. I want to thank you for having me. I want to thank you for the, the paths that you have paved for all of us, right? That you are continuing to pave. I was so excited to see you in that documentary because I said, oh, yes, y'all better bring, bring the legends <laughs> to the screen. God damn it. Okay. Um, so <laughs> thank you for having me. So glad that we were finally able to make this happen. Mm, now tell the people where they can find you. Yes, I am over on Twitter slash X at Trayvell Anderson, T-R-E-V-E-L-L-A-N-D-R-S-O-N, and over on Instagram at Rayjohn, R-A-Y-Z-H-O-N. And if you want to check out the books, you can go to TrayvellAnderson.com to get all the information about those. I will put all of those links down in the bottom. Make sure y'all go follow and make sure y'all go buy some books. Go su Amen. support queer authors, support queer creatives. Yes, 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 yes. And thank you for supporting Marsha's Play. And we will see y'all next week. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Hey, sister. Hey, sibling.